Well, good morning, church. And hello to those joining online. Welcome to our service here today as we jump in once again to the scripture and see what the Lord has for us. And uh, as I've been mentioning a couple of times uh, throughout this sermon series, if you can call it such, uh, the only glue that holds it together is I just like these passages and I wanted to preach on them before I left here. So thank you for being with us and entertaining this uh, passage uh, as we uh, go through. Um, Let us pray together. Lord, may the words of my mouth, the meditation of our hearts, be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Well, the sermon is entitled today, Twin Boats, which if you're paying attention in our scripture today, you're probably wondering, there's only one boat, Pastor, that doesn't make any sense to me. Well, I am the father of twins, as you know, so anytime I get to title something Twin Boats, it's exciting, but it'll make a lot more sense here in a minute. Just hold tight with me for just a bit here. Well, I've been mentioning, as I said before, that some of my favorite uh, passages to be preaching on, and uh, this is certainly one of them. Uh, and of course, it's just simply called Jesus Calms a Storm. And you can just imagine, I mean, this, this lake, we call it the sea, but really it's this giant, huge lake. And it's only the, the only fresh body of water actually on that, this area of the geography of Israel. And so as you're like actually the Eastern Mediterranean even, it's, just, it's, it's pretty remarkable. And when you get there, it's, a, it's just, you can see out, you can see the other side, but it's way off in the distance, right? And uh, if you ever go there or see pictures of it, it's quite amazing. But um, my understanding is the waves, you know, it's deep enough and there's enough wind and enough area that the waves on this lake can get about like five feet, Right. So now you're not talking like ocean-worthy vessels of fishing boats, right? These are just like your granddad's fishing boat, you know, that little dinky thing you put on the water you thought was going to sink all the time, right? You took you fishing, and you're like, oh, please, Lord, let me live. I don't want to sink at the bottom of this lake or this pond or whatever, right? Think that kind of boat, right? And so you got, of course, the disciples and all this, that Jesus is going with them, and they're going across. And, um, you know, it's funny as you compare different passages in the Gospels, but uh, when this, this story is told, it says that, you know, Jesus was sleeping on a pillow in one of the other passages. And I've always thought, if I owned a pillow company, this would be my marketing strategy, is to take this and be like, yeah, Jesus likes my pillow on this. Anyway, but he's sleeping on the boat, right, in the middle of a storm. And, and you just think, how do you do that? But Jesus, you know, must have been tired, or he was just totally calm and reserved or something. But he's sleeping through the storm. It's swamping the boat. The disciples are bailing it out. They're, they're having all these things go on. And, of course, remember the rest of the story, right? He they wake him up, and they're like, Lord, save us, we're going to drown. You know, and Jesus, first of all, rebukes them, right? And then he's, he is one, Luke, it actually says, he got up, he says, peace be still, right? <laughs> Which is always funny, because in the South, if you don't know this, ladies in the South will sometimes just stand up and go, whenever you're just causing a ruckus, they go, peace be still. Like, this is where it comes from, right? And this is funny, because if you've never had, if you've never been peace be stilled by a Southern lady, let me tell you. You haven't truly lived. It's great times. But, uh, so this happens in the South for you Ohioans occasionally. You know, now, now that kind of people move around a lot, it's a lot less like that probably. But at least when I was growing up, you'd still have that. And it's amazing because you think about this verse and you think about the end of it, right? When he calms the waves and the storm, the wind and the waves, the disciples go, what kind of man is this? Right? Even the wind and waves obey him. Now, of course, the story, I just want to focus on it just real quickly and then I'm going to move on here. But truth is, Jesus has command of even nature itself. You know, what kind of man is this? And that question is exactly when you're reading the Gospels, you know, think about reading it for the first time or hearing the story for the first time. You've heard all this part up to this, and all of a sudden you hear, wait a minute, this guy has power over, like, the weather? Holy moly, who is this guy, right? And so the very question the disciples are asking, you should be asking too, right, as you read through this, and as a reader, if you have it with those fresh set of eyes, And of course, part of the other preaching of this passage is the idea that Jesus is greater than any of your troubles, 
right? Any storm that's coming along, he's not afraid of it. The wind and waves obey him. He can just say, peace be still and silence it. But he's in the boat with you. The boat's not sinking because he's in it with you. So even if the storm keeps raging, be okay with the storm because Jesus is in the boat with you, right? And that's, of course, one of the great passages. Now, what I love about this passage, though, is the twin boat idea. Because sometimes when you read scripture, if you're in even the same you know, book, you'll notice that all of a sudden, in a few chapters later, another story comes up. And it has a whole lot of details like the story that happened before. And you go, huh. <laughs> but then some of the details are a little different. And thus, we get the twin boat idea. And that's why I love these passages so much. Because there's another story in the Gospel of Matthew that happens. So this story I just told you happens in Matthew chapter 8. But the story I want to tell you now happens in Matthew chapter 14. And in Matthew chapter 14, you may remember this, but Jesus has just fed the 5,000, right? The great multitudes. And they've done this and they've had all the bread and fishes. He says, all right. You know, most people would sit there and let everybody, you know, have a good time and, and then, you know, start hurrying him as king and all this different stuff. But Jesus says, ah, we're going to peace out. Disciples get in the boat. Go ahead and go across the lake. I'm going to meet you on the other side. He goes up on the mountain to pray and get away from everybody and like to be with the Lord. Now, of course, the backstory before that was he just heard John the Baptist had died. And so he withdrew to a lonely place and all the people needed Jesus so badly. They came and found him in the lowly place. And that's when the, the feeding of the 5,000 happens. And so he withdraws once again to go be with the Lord. And you can, you can tell like he's still kind of, you know, there's still this element of him that's probably mourning the death of John the Baptist after he's heard this message. And so he sent his disciples even to go ahead of him and start making camp across the sea or, the, you know, the lake, as we would call it. But the sea is Galilee, as the scripture calls it. And in this story, of course, what happens is, is it comes pretty late in the evening and the, boat, the disciples are still going. And it says that the wind and waves rose up against and were buffeting against the boat. And so you can imagine Jesus kind of looking off at his lonely place, looking out, on, looking down, and just seeing his disciples just flourishing and sinking once again. Wind and waves. Again, little fisherman boat in the middle of the Sea of Galilee when you're not supposed to be on the Sea of Galilee, and they're, they're in some trouble, right? And the things are not going so hot. And it says on this, you remember this story, what happens, and this time, Jesus comes to them, but instead of rowing the boat, he's walking on water, Right? <laughs> Wind, I mean, just, just picture lightning and wind and waves, and like this is the crazy thing in my head, and then all of a sudden there's just Jesus walking on water, right? <laughs> right? And I don't know if he, he literally like surfed the waves or like the waves, you know, like come up and down or how that worked exactly, but he's walking and the disciples see him, and you know, at first they think he's a ghost because who in the world is out on the lake in the middle of the night and you know doing these things? And it's Jesus. And you remember he tells him, he says, Hey, it's I, be not afraid, right? He calms him down. And then of course you remember the story. Disciples all look at Jesus and they're like, oh my gosh. And then Peter, out of all of them, says, hey, this looks pretty fun, right? And he says, hey, call me out. Lord, if it's really you, call me too. And Jesus says, yeah, come on, man. <laughs> and what does Peter do? He just jumps right out of the boat, right? And he starts walking on the water until he takes his eyes off Jesus and looks down and realizes how much trouble he's in. If Jesus doesn't let him, and he ends up starting to sink and Jesus has to grab him, pull him out, right? We get back in the boat, right? And there's this whole story about what Jesus says, you know, why did you doubt, right? To him once again. Now, of course, the other thing about this is that ends with that story. Once they all get back in the boat, they, it says the disciples, they didn't say, what kind of man is this like they did before in chapter 8? They say these words, truly you are the Son of God. They bow down to them. And what I love about these stories is the twin boats, because of course, 
you see some progression here in the disciples' lives. You see some progression in the way Jesus is interacting with them and doing different things. First time he's in the boat. Second time he's not even in the boat, but he comes to them in their tower of need. And of course, this story should remind us, hey, you know, Jesus is not only what kind of man is this, but truly Jesus is the Son of God that can do these different things and even empower his followers to do such things. But the part that I really wanted to focus on here today and why I really chose these passages for us this morning is the idea of discipleship, right? Really think about these two passages together and just the similarities that are there. They're obviously, your mind is supposed to kind of compare and contrast them to some degree. You see how Jesus has brought these disciples and led them along to something greater than they were before, Right? Before, they were ended with, what kind of man is this? This time they end with, truly you are the Son of God. And not only that, but they have Peter walking on water just like Jesus, right? Don't miss that part of it. I mean, it's amazing to think Jesus has now empowered his followers such that they're at the point where they can almost walk on water, right? Just by looking at him and coming to him. I have, as you know, a dog. I should say I have a puppy, right? Our family has adopted a puppy. I mentioned this before. Now, any of you have raised puppies? And I'm not talking you adopted like an old dog. I'm talking like you've had it from like puppydom, right? Lord knows how many shoes we've all lost, right, at that point. But, you know, one of the things about getting a puppy is you understand it's not going to stay a puppy forever. Now, there's a part of you that thinks, oh, they're so cute. Now, God makes them cute so that you don't throw them out the door. That's why they're so cute, right? Because... Right? Because otherwise, there's no way any of us would ever keep a dog like the puppy. Because a puppy is trouble, right? I mean, just think about how much trouble the puppy is, right? I mean, we have a puppy, and uh, let me tell you, our lives got flipped upside down. We, I like to say we, we used to have a new house, right? right? We used to. It's not anymore. It's, it's been broken in because the dog has broken it in, right? And, you know, the dog has no clue what everything is. has to explore everything. Has to, and, of course, dogs, what they do, they have to bite it and chew on it. That tells them what it is, right? And so they have to sniff it and do all these things. So the dog is taking everything. There's nothing, there's no place sacred that you can have and say, no dog, don't touch this, right? The dog wants to chew the basket. The dog wants to chew the table. The dog wants to chew the, the, the you know, we have a, a little bench. The dog's chewing the bench, right? I mean, like the dog is chewing and chewing and chewing and exploring everything. And then also, of course, uh, as you know, as puppies don't have all total control of their body. Now he's learning, he's getting better, but... Let's say an accident or just he's trying to spite us a couple times when he gets in trouble, right, happens in our house. He doesn't even know his name, right? You can yell, dog, Hobbs. You can yell, McGruffins. You can yell, Striper. You can yell, all snow. You can yell whatever you want. The dog's like, this person's yelling at me, right? has no idea, right? Now, he is learning because there is a, a certain tone in my voice that's getting, Hobbs, right? That he knows he's in trouble, right? So he's, he's got the tone down more than the name, I think, at this point. But he is learning a little bit. Um, he's learning the rules of the house. You know, what's his, what's not? Where do you sleep? Where do you not sleep? What do you jump on? Right? And, I, and, and you know, I've, I've raised hound dogs before. And so I know it's too good to, like, when it comes to food, it's all bets are off. There's no training the dog. Because the dog's going to try to eat the food. That's just how hound dogs are. But, you know, everything else, you know, you're trying to train it. Like, here's how we go outside. Here's where we walk. Here's where we do things. Here's what we bark at. Here's what we don't bark at. Here's what we do. And so you're trying to teach all these different things to the dog. And, of course, there's that idea of building trust where the puppy innately knows it needs you, but it still has to learn to trust you, right? Now, they're so darn cute. And that's why you have the puppy. Otherwise, you don't want the puppy. Right? You know what I'm saying? God made them cute for a reason. But I don't want the puppy to stay a puppy. 
You know what I'm saying? You hear what I'm saying, church? I don't want the puppy to stay a puppy. It's cute. But this phase needs to end at some point, right? I have bigger aspirations for this dog than the current situation that the dog is in, right? I want this dog to have an idea what everything is, what is going to harm it, what isn't, right? When it sees a bee, I don't want it to go chomping at it like it tries to do right now, right? I don't want it to, to chase after every snake that may come in our yard or ch- I'll just go running up to any dog that comes in the neighborhood because we do have coyotes out by us, by the way. You know, I want it to know about when it goes to the potty and when it doesn't and how where it should go and all those different things. I want it to know how much water to drink and not to drink so it doesn't have to go potty all the time. I want it to know its name so that when I say, hey, Hobbs, come here, it goes, hey, okay, right? I want it to know these things. I want it to know the rules of the house and what stuffies are its and what stuffies are the kids and do not touch those stuffies, right? Especially shoes and socks because those are a high commodity at the house right now. And of course, I want it to know so much trust that it just innately is almost like my right hand to where when I get up and walk around or do whatever, if it comes with me, it knows exactly what I'm doing so it doesn't keep stepping in front of me that I keep tripping over it, right? or it knows exactly what, how to be out of the way or who, how to protect and all those different things or how to treat the kids and how not to rake its nails because every puppy just wants to just get in your face and rake your nails across your face, right? All these different things it's got to learn and I want it to learn. I don't want it to stay that way because that would be just exhausting and it won't stay cute forever, right? I want it to grow up and mature. And in fact, it's a joy to watch that dog grow up and learn its ways and become part of your family in such a deep way where it's just an extension of your family to where it knows and loves every single thing about it. Now, of course, I'm not only a dog, a puppy parent. I'm the parent and dad of twins. So it's the same thing. They're so cute for a reason, y'all. You know what I'm saying? Otherwise, we'd never, they'd never stay in the house, let's be honest. Like, <laughs> you know, like, they are cute for a reason, right? And, and you love them to death and all these different things, right? And it's the same for kids, right? You want them and you love them, but you, you don't want them to stay like this forever. You want to see them have hopes and dreams and grow up and to be able to, to have the, the withdrawal, the ability of their own mind and spirit and body to go out and do those things and to accomplish those tasks that just set in their heart that they want to do and to go find their way in life and to even overcome their own troubles and to even help other people. Right? You, want to, you want to see them grow up, right? You want to see them mature. You want them to mature to their fullness. Well, as I look at these twin boat stories, I think it's pretty clear The same is true with us and God. We may be cute for a reason, right? God wants us to grow up, right? The idea of staying in your baby diapers, if you will, as a Christian is not the plan. In fact, you know, as we look at Scripture and we look at sort of the timestamps of kings and different things like that, we look at sort of, especially in the Gospel of John, the different uh, uh, celebrations and holy days and things like that that are mentioned, it looks like Jesus spent about three years with his disciples, training them, right? Just think about that. He wanted them to be mature. As we saw in this picture, he's taken them from before where it was simply ended with, what kind of guy is this? Holy moly. You know, we got a, we got a ringer in our corner to, this is the son of God. Like, abandon all else. Follow this guy, right? This is truly the son of God. We want to 
grow up and mature. And of course, as Christians, we understand what maturity looks like. It looks like becoming like Jesus Christ. And sometimes, yeah, that even means doing some miraculous things, like you saw Peter walking on water. More often than not, it really means following his character and his life and pursuing whatever means we can. To love others like he loved, to show grace and gratitude in all the ways that he did, to show an outreach strand even to our enemies like he did, and to once again never be complacent in our growing with Christ and God. And we can sometimes share those miraculous moments, but God wants us to not be a puppy, right? In the twin boats, he welcomed Peter, walking on the water. He's not afraid to share his power with us. He's not afraid to have us do amazing things and truly to live and be Jesus and the representation of Jesus on this earth. But in order to do so, you got to be under his lordship. And what does that mean? It means you got to do what he says, right? When Jesus teaches us in like the Beatitudes, here's how I want you to live, you got to put it into practice, right? You can't just let it go in one ear and out the other. You got to actually do it. And then the second thing is this is you have to have that faith, which is trust in him and him alone and nothing else. Can't always promise where that ends up. You know, the disciples sometimes had good days, sometimes had bad. Sometimes they were successes, sometimes they were failures. They struggled like you and I do. But just think, those 12 people, one even betrayed them. So the 11 people set the world on fire because God discipled them and ensured them. And he wants to do the same for you and for I. But first, you have to well, understand it, you have to crave it, and the second thing is you have to actually live it and do it just like the disciples did. Let us pray. Lord, as we're here today, we thank you so much for this scripture. And God, it's amazing to think that you love us, yes, but you love us so much you want us to be made into your image. And that, God, you have just this, this plan for our lives that, Lord, you keep setting into motion and Sometimes we're on board with it, and sometimes we're not. But Lord, if we're following you, and even those times we mess up, you take and you turn for good. And Lord, you keep maturing us and helping us be better disciples, helping us be more like Jesus Christ, helping us love others deeper than we have before, helping us, Lord, once again, reach out to a hurting world, and especially those who are sick and hungry and hurting or just been left behind, Lord, and reaching out and offering that hand. God, yes, even walking alongside other people that are trying their best to live their life in you, sharing what knowledge we know, encouraging and mentoring, just like you discipled your disciples. So Lord, you called us to even disciple each other. God, as we've looked at these stories and once again look at what you're calling us to be, we pray that our hearts would never be satisfied with remaining like a puppy. And that, God, you give us that yearning to keep on jumping out of the boat and following you wherever you would lead us and trusting in your power and your care. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.